0: get your first book for just 9.99 by using the code chirp CHIRP one more time that's bookofthemonth.com use the code chirp and get reading Hey everybody, this episode of Other People is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of digital audiobooks. Over at audible.com, there are hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of titles to choose from in a tremendous variety of literary genres, and you can play them on just about any digital listening device that you have, whether it's an iPhone, a Kindle, an Android, you name it. And here's the deal. Right now, for listeners of this program, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. So go get uh, Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Go get Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Just about any book at Audible can be yours free of charge. And if you do this, if you go get the freebie, it helps the program. I get a few nickels. That is a nice thing to do. To download your free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com otherpeople other people. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash other people. This is a wonderful deal. It is available right now. These are books. You can listen to them. Go and get them. Oh, my God.
1: You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. (laughs) Okay, folks, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is me unleashing the contents of my brain. This is you ingesting the contents of my brain. It's good to be with you. My name is Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles, California, where it is currently raining intermittently. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I've got Lenore Zion. On the program today, an old friend of mine, a very funny and talented writer, uh, a lovely young woman who was originally from Illinois. She's also a doctor, she is a sex therapist uh, and, and an addiction specialist. So, all of that is coming up in just a moment. Uh, we're going to get into it. Otherwise, what is happening? Well, uh, I'm a little worried at the moment, to be honest with you. I am concerned, I'm a little flustered. I'm having a contemporary digital crisis of sorts. A mild crisis of a psychological and digital nature. Psychodigital. Is that a word? Is that an actual term? If not, I think it should be. So, uh, I've been reading mail on the program here and there from time to time. And those of you who listen regularly are, are aware of this. I hear from people... Uh, All the time. Increasingly so. And this past week I had something interesting happen. Something unprecedented. Uh, A listener here in Los Angeles sent me an email. And I should say here that I've traded a handful of emails with this person over the past month or so. A very pleasant exchange. And uh, I try to be responsive when people write to me. I don't want to be one of those guys who doesn't write back. You know? Who doesn't like take a moment to... Uh, At the very least, acknowledge and say thank you. So uh, this person, a young woman, sends me an email and she says to me, among other things, uh, my husband and I would like to have you and your wife over for a dinner party, which is a very nice thing, right? Uh, But I'll be honest with you. As soon as I read it, I got a little frightened. I felt myself getting a little panicky about how to respond i was like oh, sh- oh shit like what do i say do i do this is this what you do like you do a podcast and then someone listens and they enjoy the show and they live in the same town and then they invite you over for dinner and then you go is that what happens it was like this sudden like miniature psychodrama unfolding So, you know, almost immediately after reading this, I walk back into the bedroom and I say to my wife, uh, I say, uh, honey, someone who listens to my podcast just invited us over for dinner. And she's like, who? And I say, it's a young woman and her husband, uh, over, uh, in Santa Monica. And my wife's like, <laughs> she's like, it's going to be a key party. Uh, she's like, they're going to harvest our organs, you know? That kind of thing, jokingly. My wife's very funny. She's a very funny woman. And so I'm laughing and I say, you know, how should I respond? Like, what do I say for real? And she's like, I don't know. Say whatever you want. Which doesn't really help me much. I kind of wanted her to tell me what to do. But instead she just sort of shrugged at me and gave me this look that said, uh, this is what you get for doing a podcast and talking about your life in public. So from there, I spend approximately what 18 to 24 hours worrying about this in concentrated fashion. How do I respond? What is the appropriate response? Do I respond? How do I word this? And you know, it's an interesting dynamic when you do a show like this, because all of you out there listening, you know, you you feel like you know me and in a lot of ways you do and it's real, it's authentic, but I don't necessarily know any of you uh, at all, (laughs) which is why I love getting the emails because at least that way I'm hearing from folks and I can know uh, who's out there and who's listening. Because, I, you know, I see the analytics. I know that, for instance, there are people in uh, China and Saudi Arabia and France and Australia and, you know, all these other countries listening to the show. Or so these, you know, so my computer screen tells me. But I don't know who these people are. Like, who, who are you? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this is the kind of social interaction that, uh, for me, can easily become dramatic or melodramatic in my mind. How should I respond? What should I do? How should I do it? How should I craft an appropriate response? And so the next day I'm having lunch with a friend and I, you know, I find myself picking her brain, asking for her opinion, explaining the situation. And then later I'm talking to people on the phone, asking them how I should handle it, trying to get feedback. Like probably too much feedback, which is something I tend to do. I can tend to complicate things unnecessarily. I'll overthink it, which, you know, you're probably aware of if you've listened to this program for any amount of time. So later that night. I wind up going out for a drink with a friend. And by the way, I'm making myself sound like like an an incredibly social person. This was an unusually busy stretch of social interactivity for me. But uh, I wound up going out that night with a friend uh, to kind of catch up and have a couple of drinks. And so I did that. I had a couple of cocktails, a couple of uh, vodka martinis, kind of like strong beverages. And uh, then I walked home at around 11. And at that point, I was feeling... Um, loose, not drunk, just more relaxed. And I got back home and I sat down at my computer and I was a little tired and I was just like, fuck it. Like, let's just send a response to this woman. Uh, just be polite, tell her the truth, see what happens. So I wrote an email where I basically said, uh, Hey, thank you. Uh, this is a little strange, You know, when you do a podcast, I feel like you know me better than I know you. And then uh, like attempting a joke, I said something like, I'm very disappointing in person. I'm at my best when I'm invisible. (laughs) And then what else did I say? I forget what else I said, but it was basically like, you know, let me know what you're thinking. It can be a little hard for us to do things socially because we have a two-year-old and we would need some lead time to arrange a babysitter and so on and so forth. And, uh, and then I sent it, I hit send and I have yet to hear anything back. (laughs) And it's been like two days, like 48 hours, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Uh, but so now I'm like, oh my God, I've offended these people. I didn't respond properly or with enough, uh, direct enthusiasm Uh, What I wrote was perceived as being lukewarm. It made them feel awkward for even asking. I am an asshole. I should have just been gracious in a very uh, obvious, clear way. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, fuck, man. You know, it shouldn't be that hard. Like, Why do I make everything (laughs) so hard? Someone invites you over for dinner. Just say yes and go. Have a drink. Eat some food. Be nice to people. Try to have a laugh. Why do I have to get all psycho digital about it? And then there's the other side of me that's like, well, you know, I do have some kind of point. I really don't know who these people are. And, you know, furthermore, my wife isn't really involved in all of this. She doesn't listen to this show. (laughs) She gets plenty enough of me in real life. Last thing she needs is to have me piped into her headphones. So it's like, you know, do I have to go to dinner? Is it rude of me to not go? And and then like, what if multiple people start inviting us over for dinner? Like that, but that would be nice, right? <laughs> people are, ugh, why is it stressful when people invite you over for dinner? What is wrong with me? So, uh, To the nice people who invited me over for dinner, if you're listening, I hope you're not offended. Please tell me you're not offended. I hope my email was not poorly received. Maybe uh, you're just taking your time. Maybe you're actually making plans and arranging things before you uh, send word back. Maybe this is not even an issue. Maybe uh, we could do some Skyping as a sort of introductory exercise. (laughs) like Hanging out with training wheels, like as an icebreaker. Jesus. Uh, I feel sort of like Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he doesn't want to get out of bed. You know that part? Do you remember that? I just don't want him to be disappointed in me. I don't want it to be awkward. What if it's awkward, you know? Then I I guess you just got to let it be that way. You got to just let it be awkward. Just be zen about it. Lean into it. Let the moment unfold of its own accord. So that's what's happening this week. And if you have any thoughts on this like or any advice and uh, you want to send word, the email address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com or or you can tweet at me, at otherpeoplepod. So my guest today, uh, once again, is Lenore Zion. Very pleased to have her here on the show. Uh, Like I said, she's an old friend of mine. I actually published her first book, a very funny humor collection called My Dead Pets Are Interesting. That was, uh, that came out, what, a couple of years ago on the TNB Books imprint. Her new novel, her debut, is called Stupid Children. It is the official March selection of the TNB Book Club, the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. For those of you who aren't aware, the Nervous Breakdown is my online culture magazine and literary community slash blog thing. And it's been around uh, for going on like seven years. And Lenore was one of the original writers for the site. We go way back. And uh, The Nervous Breakdown has its own book club. And for only $9.99 a month, that's less than the cost of a movie ticket uh, per month. That's less than the cost of a book. You get a brand new title delivered to your door every 30 days. It's a great deal. And uh, you should join. So if you're interested, just go to thenervousbreakdown.com and click on book club in the menu bar. You can pay with PayPal or any other uh, major credit card safely and securely. And uh, better yet, all book club authors appear on this program. So you get the book, you read the book, and uh, you can listen to me talk to the person who wrote it. Okay? So let's get going. This right here is my conversation with Lenore Zion. Her new novel is available now from Emergency Press, and it is called Stupid Children. We, we should just start by talking about our past history together. I agree. I think we should begin there. Um, we know each other from graduate school. We do. I've I have known. I've known you... <laughs> You're going to actually go on the record and saying you know Um But no, you and I met in what, 2004?
1: Um, yeah, that sounds right.
0: Right? Yeah. And then uh, we were in Sue Campo's fiction workshop together. Am I remembering this right?
1: Yeah, I think we were. And then we, we also took a TV writing class together. Okay. I can't remember who taught it.
0: I can't either. She had like red hair or something. I don't she, know. She I have a nice. terrible memory. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. But I remember like you were in my first graduate school workshop mm-hmm. and I like what I remember about that and my memory is really spotty but I remember you being sort of like what was it like angry smart <laughs> brooding like sort of gothic and I remember like you didn't say much and then but I always thought like you know her stuff is smart and like you know you seemed there seemed like there was something there and then one day you looked at me and you're like you seem like the kind of guy who matches his socks with his shirts and I was like, "What?" And then you just like walked out. Do you remember saying that to me?
1: I I I remember talking about your socks, but I don't remember what I was saying about them.
0: Yeah, and I think like I actually wore to class like blue socks and like a blue shirt.
1: Yeah, see, I was right,
0: and you were right. I'm very intuitive. Yeah, and then I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, what's going on? This girl just like completely, you know, understood my situation. <laughs> your socks. What does that mean that when I was matching my socks with my shirts?
1: Um, I think that you're just very particular. Really? Yeah, yeah, I do.
0: Okay, let me, I'll try to explain it. I think I do that because I think I'm supposed to. Because my mom, when I'm growing up, my mother and my sisters are, I have a very limited understanding of fashion. I'm not one of those guys who has like, (laughs) I'm not, but some guys, like I have a friend who is really great at like styling himself. Do you know know what I'm talking about? They have like an intuitive sense of how to dress. I feel
1: like when men are good at styling themselves, they're actually bad at it um okay because i don't think men should look overly styled i think it's kind of silly for men to you know go around wearing ruffly things or whatever it is that are like vests i I don't know what men wear i i I think men should wear you know like a t-shirt and a hoodie right which i'm wearing right now (laughs) yeah or like a suit yeah yeah i I like the way you're doing this is good yeah like you know the the fashionable men who have like feathers in their clothes and no 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 this is and
0: the double pocket i can't get into the double pockets on the back and some guys can pull it off but
1: I feel like fashionable men always look like they're going to a renaissance fair.
0: Okay, but I'm talking like maybe not like guys who are that ostentatious about it, but guys who just have like a, a good, tasteful, innate sense of what to wear. Does that mm-hmm. make any sense? Some guys are good at that. They're well, I, dapper. I, I
1: feel like you I, – i I'm certainly not the one to judge, but I think that you dress just fine.
0: Oh, you do? Yeah. I, I, I think maybe it's because um, – I don't know what I'm doing. So I am constantly like looking and like I'm, if, if someone says something to me, like, oh, you know, you need to wear that. That looks good on you. Like, I will never forget it. Hmm. And I'll be like, OK. And then my mom and my sisters, of course, growing up, were always weighing in. Um, and then what I've also found living in Los Angeles is that uh, I pay attention to how gay men dress because <laughs> they're so good at it. You know, <laughs> They're so good at understanding this stuff innately, or at least I think so. They have, a, you know, generally speaking, a better innate understanding. I don't know
1: yeah i i i don't i am not very good at dressing myself, so you don't think so no no i I basically wear black clothing, and that's that's what I do it's all all of my brothers always make fun of me whenever I wear leggings. they call them my my Hamlet pants <laughs> they're like like I'm wearing some sort of Shakespearean outfit or all something. Right. I don't know why a lot they, of girls wear leggings, well, apparently not in their worlds, I don't know, that's what I always say, yeah and I don't. Know, I think there there might be something lewd about the way that I wear leggings. Like they don't look right on me, or something. You have
0: kind of like a bad... I mean, I've seen you when you get dressed up. You sort of look like kind of badass, I think, or like what's the word? Like well, maybe tough. it's
1: because your initial impression of me was that I was angry, <laughs> and someone to be feared. What's the word?
0: Sullen, kind of brooding. You were and you were really young. You're you're a bit younger than than I am. But like how how young were you when you were in graduate school? Like early twenties, um, right?
1: Yeah, I started when I was 21.
0: Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like 26, 27, I think. Yeah. I went um, right in there. Avoid so, getting a job. So what did you uh, like what are you, what were your impressions of me back then?
1: Um I I thought that you were funny. I I don't know if you remember the way that we met actually. I I do remember this the first time that we spoke and I, it wasn't about socks. Oh, um, it wasn't. Okay, good. It, we were sitting next to each other in in one of those classes and I was drawing a cow. What, oh yeah. I, I draw like three things i'm not a very good doodler or whatever but i was drawing a cow and then i wrote cow and drew an arrow pointed towards my drawing of a cow and then you reached over before you'd ever spoken a word to me and you drew a piece of poop under the cow and then wrote poop and drew an arrow to the poop (laughs) really i was like oh i like him he's funny and that also happened to be the same day that one of my friends came with me to class but she obviously waited outside and she saw me talking to you about probably socks during the break, okay. and she thought that you were cute. And I was like, "Oh, I'll find out for you." I oh. think he's gay though, because <laughs> he matches his socks to his. Yeah, wow. I mean, the guy has blue socks and a blue shirt on. You know.
0: Um, but but no, you also
1: were like, "Oh, I live in West Hollywood," and I was like, "Huh." Eh.
0: Well, this is a funny story. When I first moved to Los Angeles, I had no idea uh, what Los like, what Los Angeles was, or like where to live, whatever. And so I remember like apartment hunting. And I was driving through West Hollywood. And I was like, oh, these neighborhoods seem nice. Like All these lawns are so well taken care of. Or, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then I found a place and, and you know uh, rented it. And I was, I was rooming uh, with a friend of mine, a female. And uh, I remember being in the place for the first day or two on my own. Like she hadn't moved her stuff in yet. The female. The female. Sarah, <laughs> I don't know. She was a female Caucasian. Um, but no, and so I had my, my old dog, uh, Merlin. Uh, RIP, and I was walking him around the neighborhood, and I got to the corner of, like, Santa Monica Boulevard and Sweetser or something, and I had headphones on. And this is how long ago this was. I had one of those, like, old yellow Walkmans. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: What? In 2004? I
0: don't know. I was behind the times. (laughs) I hung on to cassette tapes for a long, time. Apparently. Yeah. So uh, I think I had... Maybe... That wasn't iPod days, was it? I feel like the iPod... No,
1: but it was certainly, like you know, portable (laughs) CD player date. Maybe it was a yellow CD player.
0: No, it was yellow tape. It was like the Sony Sport Walkman. Well, old habits die hard, I guess. Yeah, and I was listening to that and I was standing at the corner with my dog and I remember this guy uh, pulled up in his car. It was two guys. And this guy rolls his window down and he looks at me and he's like, you fucking faggot. Oh my God. Yeah, only time anything like that has even remotely happened to me or that I've even heard of. Um, but that year, somebody got beat. Somebody beat a gay guy in that neighborhood uh, with, like, a pipe. It was, like, an awful story. And then that happened to me. And that was how I realized that, like, I even lived in the gay district of Los Angeles. I had no That's idea. That's an
1: awful way to find out. I know. I was, like, <laughs> what? I
0: was like looking behind me. I was, like, Cause I, I thought I had, like, stepped in front of his car or had done something. But, like, no. And it was just, like, two crazy people out who were, like, obviously felt threatened by being in West Hollywood or whatever. But huh. only time that's ever happened so i didn't even know that i lived there and my roommate sarah was even more clueless Uh, i remember we were driving around and i I, like i knew the the area better than she did and i was like driving her around and we saw some hasidic jews Mm -hmm. and she thought they were amish (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: easy to miss that's i feel like that's reasonable if you haven't grown up around yeah
0: well you know it's an that whole culture fascinates me
1: you know that each hat represents like a different sect of Judaism or something. I, I don't know why I'm acting like an expert right now. I'm really far from it, but I feel like I heard somebody tell me that recently.
0: Oh really? Yeah. I just the thing that gets me about them is seeing them in the summer with the wool clothing. Oh, I know, I it's know. Like you know. There's a big
1: on. there's a big Hasidic community in in Miami as well, and it'll be like, you know, hundred degrees with humidity and they're in these wool suits. I don't know how they I it's,
0: yeah. it seems uh, very
1: uncomfortable.
0: Dude, it's like beyond belief. They need to change the laws. <laughs> um so speaking of Judaism like you were were you raised Jewish? No. In my no, in raised Illinois
1: pretty much without religion. Completely. Yeah, but your basically. dad is Jewish.
0: Um or of I, Jewish descent.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean he was like bar mitzvah and everything but I don't think that he's particularly religious or he he's never seemed it to me.
0: Do you identify culturally?
1: Um you know I always thought I did but I think that the the more the I I mean, yes and no. I I'm certainly not religious. I'm, but I do feel that I am Jewish. I I don't know.
0: But you're only what but you're means. only half. So yeah, do you I'm, know only what I'm half saying? Like, half. Yeah. You you identify more strongly with the Jewish half as far as like your culture and your identity. Well, or? I don't
1: even know how my mother was raised. Like I know it was some sort of you know Christian thing, like generic Christian. But I I mean I don't think that she's particularly religious either. I I identify more as just non-religious than anything than
0: anything yeah okay um it strikes me though like i kind of envy jewish people because they have like a real culture like i guess maybe in the south you get more of that with like christianity and you know catholicism we were talking about this before we started but Mm -hmm. you know it just feels generic like you say it's like generic you know white christian american person or whatever yeah you know, i'm not into it but you know i don't feel like oh those are my people or i have a community or a set of traditions that i can like look to and
1: well you know i, I think maybe it feels generic to us but to somebody in that community it probably doesn't feel generic at all it probably yeah. feels very
0: real real and yeah authentically yeah. It's also
1: descriptive like, of who they feel they are
0: I yeah don't... yeah yeah i guess you're right it just also feels like though if you're cuz my folks are from the south and when you live in mm-hmm. the south that's like the air that you breathe everyone's into it And it's, like, very – it's a part of your social life, not just, like, your spiritual or cultural, you know. It's, like, fully ingrained in the society and, like, you live elsewhere and it's, like, sort of just little pockets of people.
1: Well, I don't know. You know, I was raised in in central Illinois and and – I, I was somehow oblivious to the fact that anybody was religious growing up at all. I I always thought, I mean, all of my friends were. All of my friends, like, did communion and, oh and God, yeah. th- the other things, and I always thought, oh, that's the thing that their parents make them do, and it didn't even occur to me that their parents actually, you know, legitimately believed, you know, I guess the teachings of their religion, which I, I didn't know what those teachings were to begin with, um, but it took, actually, until I was in college before i found out that people were actually really religious like this is how how long it took me to be clued into reality you know um it it just never entered my world view before then that's sort of
0: nice though yeah
1: yeah it is but it's also kind of shocking to discover that like all of the people that you grew up around actually were very different from what you projected onto them i guess Yeah, yeah
0: i mean yeah i mean you know it's like interesting that it's interesting that you lived in central, uh, is it central Illinois? Mm-hmm. It's closer to the border of Indiana. No? It's right in the middle?
1: No, no, no. It's, not, it's like central north-south-wise, but it's closer to the east, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's closer to the east because mm. like, we, we basically come from the same part of the country. Yeah. Indiana, Champaign, Was yeah. it Champaign-Urbana.
1: Mm-hmm. Urbana. Uh, Urbana. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Shampoo banana. Um,
0: and you come from a big family. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are uh, a surviving twin. Yeah. I think this yeah. is significant to talk about. In terms of like <laughs> your, your identity or self-concept and your life. I mean, like talk a little bit about that.
1: Um, well, I, it, I would call myself a lone twin. A lone um, twin yeah. That's, I, I don't know if that's like the official terminology or, or if there even is official terminology, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's a huge part of, of my personality of, of who I am. I, it's relevant every day.
0: So your sister Margot died in childbirth.
1: Um, no, she died in the womb, not not okay. in childbirth. Her her uh, her cord was – she she died of uh, cord death, strangulation, right? Yeah.
0: Ugh. So, you know, because twins are interesting always to me. You know, because mm-hmm. there, there's, like, a deep connection. I have friends who are identical twins and, like, bizarre. You know, all the stories about, like, they'll think the same thing even though they're in two different cities, like, a thousand mm-hmm. miles apart. And there's just a real deep connection. Yeah. You know, so – when you know you never really got to uh, meet in the traditional sense your twin, but yet you still feel.
1: I, I feel it powerfully and daily. Yeah.
0: Do you okay? Because I have a, um, I have a cousin who is in a similar circumstance. Like his sister died in childbirth, or in the womb. I think it was maybe in the womb. Um, and I always had this thing in my head that, you know, her soul somehow went into his body and he's both of them. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have that feeling Um, like you're living for her or something?
1: I I feel that she is entirely absent from my life in a, in a very difficult way. I don't think that her soul is in me at all. No, I, um, I, 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 I feel like she is very much gone and um, that sucks for me. And that it's, it's something that, really couldn't be understood unless it's hard to describe because every I think everybody generally feels you know something missing from his or her life you know I I don't think that's unique to to a lone twin everybody has a void that they need to fill um but this is just a a very specific one that is unique to to twinship you know
0: yeah yeah it's interesting so but you still have a lot of siblings. You came out you grew up in a big family. Yeah. How many siblings?
1: Um, I have three brothers and a sister.
0: Okay. So three mm-hmm. brothers and a sister, big family, champagne urbana. Mm-hmm. Your dad was an eye doctor?
1: A retinal surgeon, yeah.
0: Okay. Um happy childhood?
1: Yeah, yeah. I used Midwestern. To... Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I I used to like run away to the bushes in my yard with my brothers wearing like weird army helmets that somehow we had all over the house, you know. <laughs> and uh like I was always the record keeper so I'd like record when we had our sandwiches or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I loved my childhood. It was a good place to grow up and and I don't know. I I I think that you know, you know every family has a little culture. I think that the culture of my family is is one that really feels right to me, you know, even just kind of in the absence of my upbringing it it, it is right for me and What so, do you what do you mean? Um I I think that we're all in my family like kind of weirdos you know and and we all think it's funny <laughs> like there's like an inside joke in my family that that only we know <laughs> I don't I don't we're, know how else to to put it but I, I think we're just all in on some weird joke that nobody else gets
0: do you guys communicate well oh yeah yeah
1: yeah I'm very close with my family
0: okay there. and so like, I mean like because it strikes me I mean I know I've met your folks I've met uh Lonnie your brother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only brother I've met
1: I'm, you didn't. The, uh, Tim and Ben were both at, at Maybe the I book did. release. I might have. I'm yeah. so bad. I was no, shaking lots right. of hands or whatever. <laughs> but
0: not that I'm like the you know the Pope. I was going to say the Pope. The po- that's weird. You're kind of like the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. Anyway, I just I, there's a, and you know your mom has written for the nervous breakdown and there's like this funny dialogue between you guys. There's an unusual level um, from my experience of like candor and communication happening.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's unusual for other people for for my family it's kind of just the way that we are you know my mom and i mess with each other all the time we tease the hell out of each other that's how it is i mean my brothers brutally tease me my sister brutally teases me and it's just still oh yeah yeah oh yeah you should see the things that we say to each other we're so (laughs) we're so mean but it's it's not mean it's funny
0: yeah 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 so it's with love Mm -hmm. there's like a strong foundation
1: yeah of course
0: is it ever crossed the line
1: no, not really. I, I mean, not that I can think of. You know, sometimes I cross the line with people who aren't in my family, not realizing that, you know, they're not used to being brutally teased. Yeah. But, you know, not, I, I don't ever really get my feelings hurt f- by my family.
0: Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your stomach? That was my stomach.
1: <laughs> I'm really hungry all the That's time. That's actually happened
0: before on this show. Um, <laughs> I can try to edit that out. No, no, no Leave it. Leave no, it? No. Okay. Yeah, I'm proud of it. Um, so, artistically, I, I sense that you, your mother, I mean, your mother is a f- very funny writer. Like, you get some of that from her? No? Yes? You tr- I, Can you trace it?
1: I don't know. I I mean, I, I think that my parents very much shaped who I am. So, I guess, yeah, I guess I would get some of that from her. Um, writing wise I I think that she and I have similar senses of humor. I I don't know. I I don't know where that stuff comes but from. But like really. how did you
0: I mean as a kid, you were were you bookish? Were you
1: Yeah, I read all the time as a kid. My mom taught me to read when I was really young and that was a, a thing we bonded over. I remember I read the first like full-length novel that I read, I read out loud to my mother um when I was pretty young. I can't remember exactly how old, but it was Island of the Blue Dolphins. And Who wrote that? I don't remember.
0: I know that book, but yeah, I can't
1: it's it, every young girl should okay. probably young boys too should read that book. But I I remember uh-huh. reading it out loud to my mother, and there's a part in the book where the the protagonist, the this the main character is is this little girl. Her brother dies. And I just kind of went right through it without any emotion at all. And my mom was like, oh, my God. And then the dog dies. And I was like, oh, that's how it always is. I just is. lost it. And my mom was like, ah, oh. this little <laughs> sociopath daughter. <laughs>
0: no, but it's like true. Like, you, you know, it's amazing what we can become desensitized to in like our media culture. Like, you know, I can see... Django Unchained and you can watch these I mean actually that movie was a little hard for me to watch it was watch. a little
1: hard to watch like, it was I, like lo- I loved that movie I loved Tarantino I, the, he can do no wrong in my opinion but you know that, that one was a difficult one to watch yeah
0: I was like because I, I tend to be like I don't know if I pride myself on it but I'm hard to offend you know, or hard to, it's hard to, like, get me to be like, oh, my God, that's too much. But, like, that one I found myself, like, looking away a little bit from the screen.
1: Oh, I didn't feel like it was too much at all. I, I wasn't offended in any way. I, I think that the parts that were hard to watch, he intended for them to be hard to watch.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just like, usually I can sit there and watch people get mutilated <laughs> on screen and be <laughs> yeah, like, it's fine. P- it's p- yeah, but, yeah. You, man, you hurt a dog. If a dog or a cat or something gets hurt on the screen, it becomes, like, intolerable for me.
1: Oh, I know. Do you watch Game of Thrones? No. Oh. Do I need to? Oh no. I, I mean, if if you want to, you should. But <laughs> there, there's a lot of killing, you know, and uh-huh. it doesn't bother me at all. But they every now and then kill horses and wolves and stuff, and I get like actually kind of angry at them for that. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> like, weird. Come on, Game of Thrones guys. <laughs> it's really inappropriate. Yeah.
0: It's like we can't. It's so it's so weird. It seems backwards. So or... Just kill
1: another child instead. <laughs>
0: Can we crucify somebody? <laughs> um, okay, so reading a lot as a kid, writing—I mean, just—I think we all have the same tendencies. I ask this to people, and it's always generally the same story. There was nothing like extreme about your bookishness or your writerliness as a kid. You weren't like writing no. writing novels when you were like twelve or anything.
1: No, I I wrote some short stories, you know, but I, I didn't. Did you
0: keep a journal as a teenage girl?
1: Um. I I I wrote really terrible poetry to get attention as a teenage girl. You know, I'd like write a poem about, you know, doing drugs and then be like, "Here, mom, read this. This is my latest poem." And she'd be like, "Oh, it's really nice." <laughs>
0: I used to write, I used to write these, uh, rhyming poems, like almost like raps that like involved when I was like 15, there was like the, cause the parking lot for my high school was like a half mile from the school. So you actually had to like park and then walk mm-hmm. regardless of weather. it was awful. And, uh, we called it the trail of tears. And, uh, I remember I used to write these like really lewd, like rhyming poems about like sex and like poop and just like sex teenage boy poop. <laughs> just like teenage boy stuff you know uh um, but people doing disgusting things and like i would you know and i would read these to my my guy friends as we walked down the trail of tears and it was like this big funny thing and i look back and i'm like it's fucking embarrassing <laughs>
1: and <know>? revealing <laughs> yeah
0: right like what what was happening there you're a shrink <laughs> tell me what was happening
1: well you know sex being one of the more primal instincts and then poop being <laughs> well it, it I'm, I'm serious poop is is a uh, I mean, it's a it's a primal expression of whatever the, the release of anxiety or waste or, or whatever it is yeah. that's why people become anal retentive you know they, they become so anxious that they can't let anything go you know anal, so a, like
0: the anal retentive actually means like there's actually like uh, yeah, a reference a to the anus
1: anal, yeah anal, retentive, <laughs> yeah um I, I mean it, it also refers to what people think it refers to but i I think that you know the thought of sort of uh, you know, gross biological necessities like poop very frequently go hand in hand with things like sex, which is also kind of a gross biological necessity. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <I'm so hungry. laughs> Lenore's stomach again.
1: <laughs> it's the poop talk.
0: <clears throat> but you know, I've had conversations like this with friends over the years and you're a sex therapist, sex no?
1: addiction, therapist. sex addiction therapist, but yeah.
0: still like, you know, a lot about sex from, um, medical perspective.
1: Yeah, clinical. I I know about pathological sex. Okay, so we
0: should talk some, you know, some about this, but like, I've had arguments in the past, you know, like at parties or whatever, you're having a drink with a friend and you'll be like, I'll I'll say something like, you know, sex is, you know, it, it can be embarrassing. It can mean great. You know, everyone loves sex, but, or most people do, but. There's something just sort of embarrassing and gross about it, too. That's oh, terribly disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this
1: like, you know, joining of gross, blo- like, fluids, and <laughs> yeah. it, it's messy. and Right,
0: yeah, and the it, noises, and it, it's just like people's faces. It just It doesn't get talked about enough. And I feel like there's some sort of – here's what I think I'm driving at. There's some sort of cultural or societal pressure that to be, quote, unquote, healthy – about sex it means that you've got to like love it and have no problems with it and not think these negative ways about it. you know what i'm saying it's like this kind of like almost like sanitized view of it which i think is silly
1: well uh, i i guess i don't really know what the the expectation of healthy sex is for for most people i
0: i'm talking about like what you see in glossy magazines do you know what i'm saying like all that shit
1: what like the, which glossy magazine like oh, 15 ways to blow right. his mind <laughs> right, you know? right. Okay. and and they're all things that you know, it's the same every issue, right. you know, like right. dress up in a naughty nurse outfit. <laughs> like, seriously. You think nobody's thought of that?
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what healthy sex is necessary. I think it's different for every, for every individual and for every couple or multiple relationship, whatever you want. But I, I think that, I think that you have to have a healthy sense of humor to, appreciate sex without you know kind of also resenting it right um and i think that i think that the reason that sex in an intimate relationship becomes better is because you are more comfortable to be the disgusting fluid filled blob of a human being (laughs) that you actually are with another person right you know I, I, you have to feel that. Look, that if you are having a one night stand with somebody, that might be fine. You might be having fun, but you're probably not totally fine with like the queef that follows or whatever. You know, <laughs> you might be a little. <laughs> you <know? laughs> if you're with somebody who you know is accepting you regardless of all of your flaws and all of that stuff, then that's just funny when you queef. Right. You know,
0: which does happen.
1: It does. Yeah, <laughs> You can't avoid it.
0: <laughs> um. Okay, so let's continue. We'll we'll get to, I want to get to more sex therapist stuff, uh, but I want to finish with like childhood.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's let's build a foundation. Transition. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Um, High school, Champaign Urbana. Hmm. I've heard stories through the years, but like you were, uh, what kind of teenage girl were you?
1: Oh, I was furious. I was so angry and. I was weird, and I didn't know it. I mean, I I knew I was weird because everybody always told me I was weird. I I can't were, remember. Were you popular
0: at school? Like, I were think you the funny so. girl? No one no one gave you shit, right?
1: No, nobody. But I don't I don't remember anybody being bullied in my high school. I I might have like kind of this rose colored glasses retrospect thing. I I don't know, but it, I seem to remember everybody basically getting along with everybody else in my high school. Um, yeah. I mean, I uh, I was angry and confused and trying really hard to figure out what to do. And everybody thought I was weird and all of my, but weird in a good way. I mean, I was never like picked on for being weird. Everybody was just like, Oh yeah, that's Lenore. She's weird. And (laughs) that was like
0: your brand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I specifically remember being surprised when I left Champagne that all places weren't like Champagne.
0: Okay. So like, this is something about the Midwest. As much as I wanted to get out of there and as much as I have a hard time imagining myself ever going back mm-hmm. there's something really great about being raised in a place like that yeah because they the people are really nice that's true there's a down-to-earthness of midwestern people and like i had no real sense of social hierarchy i mean beyond like maybe like who the popular kids were in high school and stuff. i mean the basic stuff but i didn't like i, I didn't i don't know i had a, almost a sweetly naive view of Humanity.
1: Yeah, yeah. I you think know? I think I did too. I, I mean, I I love I I love Champagne. I, I love living there, and I I thought it was a, a wonderful place to live. I like it warmer, and that's you know one of the only reasons. The that winters I, suck. Yeah, the winter is, is harsh. But
0: the fall. I mean, from spring through fall. You yeah. Know, the summers can be sort of terrible too, but the transitional seasons are pretty good.
1: I, I can't remember. It's it was 1999 was the last time I lived there, but I I. I don't remember anybody ever being mean to me. Um although,
0: did you have an enemy? You had to have had like an arch nemesis or something.
1: You know, I probably did, but I don't remember. I know that when my when my brother Tim left for college, he came home for Thanksgiving break or something with some friends and I one of his friends, I dis, I described to her a a, a person in my life as one of my enemies and she has never forgotten it and thinks that it's very funny that like a, you know, 16 year old girl or however old I was had enemies. So I I mean, enemies list. Yes. I suppose I had enemies, but I I don't remember who they were and I don't know. I'm sure that it was something dumb that made that person my enemy, you know?
0: Right. Like, isn't it weird how that, those times can be so intense and like you can, you know, I I do remember like, I have like sense memory of how strongly you you know, I felt, Mm during those years but I can't remember a fucking thing about them
1: I have I know I don't remember anything from my life really I and have like a few specific memories but it, it's gone I mean it's I guess if gone. I if I
0: sat down with people who I grew up with you know maybe like it would come back to me but I talked to Leslie Arfin on this show and, and she kept a detailed journal as a kid which is I think a mm-hmm. lot of the, a lot of where it comes from but like the amount of recall that she has like specific recall with regard to her adolescence like mm-hmm. astonished me because like that whole part of my life just feels like, a, and, uh, a, a like a, a f- what is it fractalized dream or something.
1: I I, I know I'm the, I'm the same way. My my brother Tim who was in high school along with me he remembers everything everything. It's I I don't know how he remembers everything and he's always accusing me of having a bad memory. I I think I just have a normal memory maybe yeah. and he's just like Rain Man for <laughs> you know high school memories. Whatever. How
0: what's the age difference between he's you? He's two years older. Was he cool to you?
1: Oh yeah, he was my best. He's my best friend. Yeah.
0: But he looked out for you when you were in high school. It wasn't like get away from me.
1: Yeah, in fact, he looked out for me so much that I thought boys didn't like me until you know I moved to LA when I was twenty one. Really? Basically. Yeah. He
0: would like so you weren't dating his friends or anything.
1: No, I thought that I was just. Well, I it's very possible that I wasn't attractive in high school. <laughs> probably <laughs> actually that's probably the reason, but I'm going to blame it on Tim anyway and say that he protected me against ever being, you know, sexually validated as a young child. <laughs> so
0: you didn't you didn't have boyfriends in high school.
1: Oh, uh, no, I had a boyfriend, but uh it it was like in spite of him and not, you know. Okay. Yeah.
0: So all throughout high school same guy?
1: Um no, I had two boyfriends in high school. My first boyfriend uh was my boyfriend for, like, a weekend, and we didn't see each other. <laughs> one and magical weekend. And then the girl who was, like, one of my best friends, like, you know, hooked up with him, and I found out about it, and it was this big drama, you know? And so my first boyfriend, you know, was a, a high school boy who was lured away by somebody who had actually put out, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then my second boyfriend w- w- was this very strange... He was like the boy version of, of me where, like, every, he was super weird and and didn't know it. And, you know, we were kind of weird together and would do really weird things. Like, like, we were fascinated by the fact that we could give hickeys. And so I'd, like, give him a whole necklace of hickeys. Like, not even in a sexual way. I'd just be like, oh, I'll suck on your neck and make you look really weird. And it, it was, I mean...
0: What was, was his name?
1: Steve. Steve. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's, I think he's married now.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe he's listening. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Gosh>. Hi, Steve.
0: <laughs> um, drugs and alcohol.
1: Yeah, yeah. I. I you did. I did you yeah. had.
0: You experimented heavily in, in high school, like in ways I did. that, like, I, you know, I don't think I quite did because I remember we were talking about it. Like, you were dropping acid. And, in high school, stuff, yeah, right? yeah,
1: I did, but you know, I stopped in high school as well. I, you know, drugs ended for me when I was still a teenager, and I've never been a huge drinker. Actually, even in high school, I, I wasn't a, a big drinker. I'm not now, and I wasn't then.
0: Why not? Uh,
1: you know, I don't think I like to be drunk very much, and I also don't. I don't really like the taste of alcohol that much. I all sometimes enjoy wine, but I, I'm. Not I've seen really... you drink
0: a little vodka. You get like a little. What is it?
1: Drunk very quickly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've
0: been around you where you're like, oh my God, you know, I just drank vodka, but you don't yeah. drink to excess very often.
1: No, I don't. I, there's nothing worse in the world to me than the feeling of being too drunk. So I, yeah. Or hungover. Yeah. Which, ha- I, I guess this is hardly a new thought, but it certainly happens more as you get older. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like, it's night and day. I mean, and I can't tolerate, I mean, the older I get, um, I cannot tolerate a hangover Unless it's a very special occasion and you go out, you know, like a wedding or something. Yeah, yeah. But it's just a lost day. I hate that. Sometimes it's, it's like it's a some... lost couple of days. Yeah. It
1: takes me a while to get back on my feet from that. I, I, uh, Yeah, just drinking is not, I don't think I'm meant to be much of a drinker. I could probably give up alcohol forever and it wouldn't affect me. Wouldn't. Yeah. yeah, probably not. Except for like I love to go out to dinner and, you know, the whole experience of dinner is generally made better by, you know, having some wine. But, eh, yeah. I, don't, I don't need it.
0: What about pot?
1: I don't, I I stopped, pot is not interesting to me. It's, it's just not. I stopped smoking pot or, you know, having anything to do with pot when I was in high school.
0: Okay. And then the hallucinogenic, like you had hallucinogenic experiences in high school, one of which I remember you telling me about, which was super funny.
1: Yeah. I actually, I, I fictionalized it and put it in my novel even. Um, it's yeah. (laughs) So it's in there. So if you want to know, then you have to read my book.
0: (laughs) Give us like just some broad outlines of it.
1: Um okay. Let's see. Well, I'll tell you the real life version. Yeah. Okay, so I I went with a friend to a quote party in Gibson City, Illinois, which is like an hour away from Champaign. Everybody knows Gibson it's, City. Yeah, everybody knows <laughs> Um and it's, you know, it's just a little a little town outside of Champaign by about an hour. And I I had a curfew at this time. Uh, I don't I don't midnight, remember what it was. 11:30. Whatever, midnight, yeah. something like that. And so we I dropped a bunch of acid with this girl that I went to this party in Gibson City with. It turned out that the party wasn't actually a party. It was like four or five kind of middle-aged men who were tripping on cough syrup. Oh Robo tripping. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you remember. And uh, and they were watching the wall. And um <laughs> that's I, I if you don't know anything about acid, you you have to kind of be in a comfortable place in order to enjoy an acid trip especially when you're like 16
0: any Uh, age any age
1: yeah so this was really uncomfortable it's weird to be like around a bunch of like 45 year old guys when you're a 16 year old girl who are tripping and robitussing for god's (laughs) sakes (laughs) you know come on get something good at least yeah don't drink until you are sick and hallucinating you know um but they you know it was they wouldn't let us speak because they had to have perfect silence while they watched the wall you know um, and our ride didn't show up. The, the person who was supposed to come and pick us up and take us back to my house for our curfew is the middle of winter. And so we said, Oh, Hey, can we use your phone? And the guy says, no, uh, we don't have a phone. So too bad. And we're like, Oh, well, what are you supposed to do? Wait, said, these
0: guys didn't have a phone?
1: No, I didn't have a phone. I don't know. And <laughs> he said, no, how did wait. you
0: meet these guys? <laughs> they, I,
1: I didn't know the girl I, I went with. She said it all them up. somehow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she was new in town from Gibson City so i guess somehow she, these were her friends <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah.
0: she had Gibson City all yeah, like, yeah. figured out yeah
1: Ugh. um but uh so he he tells us there's a payphone a couple of blocks down the street and that we should just go and it's it's like one in the morning at this time we said will you walk us there and he said no it's cold and so that dick sends these teenage girls who are tripping off into the, you know, night alone <laughs> to find a payphone. And, and like a two-block
0: never... walk to a payphone when you're in that situation can all of a sudden extend yeah. itself.
1: Yeah. And meanwhile, it's it's freezing. There's a, like a blizzard or something happening. It, there's like a foot of snow on the ground. And... So we we go to we go to find the payphone. We can't find it, and then all of a sudden, I'm just like in my bra and underwear, and so is my friend. And I was like, oh, I, I'm not wearing shoes, socks, and I'm like in the snow, like getting frostbite as we, you know. And I my winter hat had cat ears on it, and so I, I had that still. So I'm, I'm wearing bra and underwear and this cat hat, and. <laughs> And uh, so we we decide we decide at this point that we're gonna have to go to a a house and ring the doorbell or something like use somebody's phone and so we find a house that has a light on, I don't it's the middle of the night at this point, point. and so we decide that I look less trashy than the than the girl I was with and so I needed to ring the doorbell so she stays across the street and I go across the street, ring the doorbell, and this guy this old man answers the door, and you know I. My eyes were bugging out of my head. And I was like, my car broke down. Can I use your phone? And he was like, oh, my God. What? And he said, you know, come in, sweetheart. You know, I'll do, you can use your phone. And then I pointed across the street to my friend. and I was like, my friend's car broke down, too. Can she use your phone, too?
0: Jesus. was like, Jesus.
1: And so, in your
0: bra and underwear?
1: Yeah, in my bra. And and oh so he, he brings us in. He puts, like, a blanket or something around us, you know. And, and he and his, I'm I, I'm assuming, wife, we're watching how old was he how old was he like oh, 50s yeah i mean he looked old yeah. when i was 16 so anywhere right. from like you know 45 on or whatever
0: yeah
1: no he's probably like 55 but
0: but a family man probably. yeah yeah
1: i mean he and his wife were watching a movie and eating popcorn so he's you know he he has this like instinctual urge to nurture us or something and he wants to feed us because we look a mess you know <laughs> and so he like covers us in blankets and tries to feed us this popcorn and when you are on acid, you're really not hungry. It's like the best appetite suppressant ever, Right. Um, which is not an endorsement of acid. But <laughs> the, right. so you, you really don't want to eat. But I also was aware of the fact that I didn't want to be rude and refuse the kind gesture or whatever. And so I, I started just taking the popcorn and like shoving it into the into my cheek. So I ended up having this like wad, this huge like baseball sized wad. Of popcorn in my cheek, thinking that he like didn't notice or something.
0: Oh my god! He's just god. looking at me like I'm
1: insane. <laughs> oh, it was ridiculous.
0: And so, how did you eventually get out of there?
1: Um, this guy who uh who was a friend of ours who's actually since committed suicide. Ugh. He came in, and picked us up and took us back to to my parents' house. Right, he dropped me off and, and my friend went with him.
0: Is and this the guy that committed suicide a few years ago that you? Different no. guy. Hmm. Different guy. Yeah. Ugh! What happened? I mean...
1: uh, he was a a vet. Um, uh, not not an animal vet but like a war uh, Iraq. Yeah. Um, and I think it just snapped him
0: too much yeah yeah. fuck that's terrible it, yeah, that it happens a lot it does like there were more suicides among vets than actual like fatalities on the battlefield mm-hmm. in a calendar year I mm-hmm. want to say that statistic like came across my computer screen
1: uh, I wouldn't know <laughs> yeah
0: that's insane um okay so then you then you go on to Miami to college
1: mm-hmm.
0: right mm-hmm. why Miami
1: um because I had done, I had gone to the University of Miami when I was in high school for a summer program, um, and I got to dissect dead human bodies, oh, which wow. was like the coolest thing in the world to me. You know, I got to like hold organs in my hands. So and, that
0: doesn't bother you at all.
1: No, no. I think it's really interesting. And, and also there were just lizards all over the place, which was amazing. You know, I'd, a lizard was a thing that every now and then like that weird kid has as a pet, you know, where I grew up and and there were just lizards running around all over the place. And I thought, well, I want to go here and live here where there are lizards and dead bodies.
0: Well, and I should also say, and you can correct me if it was different in Champaign-Urbana, but, uh, in Indiana, like in the Midwest, generally there is a strong connection with Florida as like a, a kind of paradise I oh remember, yeah, yeah i remember like in high school in indiana it was like we have got to go to florida for spring mm-hmm. break and I'm it like, didn't matter where in florida just the beach just florida just warm yeah. You know, like, yeah. it was green and lush and mm-hmm. like now um you know it's a bit different you live in southern california you realize there's other places that are also warm and sunny yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, although
1: or... i still do really really like miami i think it's an awesome city and
0: see but some people have um I think Florida, you know, it's such a, it's considered like a strange state, and it well, is strange kind of strange. Stuff
1: happens in Florida. Yeah. It, north of Miami is weird. I, I mean, obviously, I like weird. You know, some of my favorite news stories are out of Florida. But, sure. You know, I, I don't know what's going on up there. There's, that's why I put my, I place my book in, in Central Florida.
0: Well, but you also, I mean, you have this strange mix. It's like all like the. Uh, you know, like the old Jewish people retiring from the north, like the, like the New Yorkers. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. there's that part of it. And then but they you to,
1: have. They, they still go, they go to Miami and Boca and Fort Lauderdale. You know, they still stay around the normal ish areas. You know? But
0: then you have, I don't know, it's just it's a weird mix of people. Because mm-hmm. then you have, like, the, the like real hillbillies living in, like, the mm-hmm. jungle or, you know, not the jungle. The I jungle. Mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of, yeah, the Everglades. <laughs> I'm thinking of Vernon, Florida. Did you ever see that movie? Uh-uh. The Errol Morris movie? Uh-uh. About, like, this town in Florida called Vernon, Florida, where all these people started like hacking off their limbs to collect insurance money.
1: that sounds amazing. when was this made?
0: this was like you know you I think I have that right hacking off limbs, but it's a it's a hilarious movie and the people it that he it inter- are wonderful you should see it yeah, you know? should. it's on Netflix I think but um so I don't know and i my folks are from Louisiana, so I get like the mm-hmm. the culture and it's just it's a strange mix and you have you have the vacationers and you have um eh, you know, I don't know. It's like it's to me. It's like a there's a lot of like rednecks from Indiana, people that like I sort of grew up around, <laughs> who wind up down there with a little bit of money and mm-hmm. like a speedboat, <laughs> yeah. you know just a cigarette <laughs> boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I've been to Miami once, and I you know it was I was there for like a long weekend with Carrie, and uh-huh. but what is it like? You know, you lived there. Like,
1: it's it was- perfect weather. I mean, warm and you know beautiful all the time and you get the great thunderstorms and I I love thunderstorms and some of the best food that you can possibly imagine exists in Miami just because everybody all the people from like the Caribbean and and Central and South America all immigrate up to Miami and then bring these amazing foods with them and and then make restaurants for you to go and eat those food and it's for a foodie and I'm I'm definitely a huge foodie it's like a paradise and then it's also like
0: what's a what's a good restaurant in Miami?
1: Um. Oh, there's so many the
0: like Cuban food, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, Cuban Cuban food, but that's the obvious one. I mean, yeah. uh, Haitian food in Miami is great. Right. Um, there's a place in South Beach called Tap Tap that has great Haitian food. They have this like coconut goat I mean, curry dish that I remember. Oh, it's so good.
0: Okay, I didn't know. I mean, Haitian food. I've never. You know, like, it's, good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's really right. good. Um, and so what else? You know, like I mean, you were there as a university student at at the U, right?
1: Yeah. 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 Like, I, I was, even though I love Miami, my, my years in college were the worst years, I think, of my life, with the exception of my first year in Los Angeles. Um,
0: You didn't like your first year in Los Angeles either? No,
1: I was lonely and, you know, all by myself and didn't know, I I hadn't met anybody who, you know, I, I've recently discovered that like, there are just people who I get and people who I don't get and people react the same way to me and so when people don't get me i feel very alienated and don't know what to do and for the first year that i lived in miami i basically only met a bunch of people who just i had no business being friends with you know they just didn't make sense for me to be anywhere near them you isn't know?
0: that so strange though i mean because you, you hit on it i was like nodding my head as you're saying that like it doesn't matter how i mean i guess some people are more adaptable than others or like mutable and they can mm-hmm. befriend like a wider set of people mm-hmm. you know yeah but there's nothing better to me, and it's almost instantaneous than meeting somebody where you're like, "Okay, we get each other."
1: Oh, I love that feeling. And
0: you know it. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who are perfectly nice. They're not bad people. Yeah, they're, they're good time, but it's never gonna. It's not it, gonna and happen. You don't know what to say,
1: <laughs> and you right. feel awkward, and th- th- yeah, <clears throat> everything that you say is just kind of interpreted the wrong way. Yeah.
0: So okay, so that was Miami year one.
1: No, no, that was that was L.A. year one for me. Miami was just. I, I think that it was, it was the first time I was out of Champagne, as I said, I didn't know that anywhere was different from Champagne, and so all of the things that always worked for me in Champagne were suddenly, like, like, I was weird in Champagne. In Miami, I was, like, weird, and literally the first day of school, somebody pushed me into mud and called me a freak. And I was like, why? Well, why? I don't know. I, I, were you I,
0: dressed in a weird way?
1: I was wearing these overalls that I in, I had like sewed little bell-bottomy things into in high school. And they were like the coolest overalls ever in high school. And then they're... <laughs> overalls? Yeah. <laughs> I was like so asexual for a long time. Yeah. No, I had a pair of
0: overalls <laughs> in my hippie days in like Colorado. That was like <laughs> Right ca- after like
1: Confused when the guy made overalls sexy. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah so yeah. okay
0: so someone pushed you into my yeah,
1: somebody actually and i was like a man was, or a woman no, uh, no a girl it was two girls these like two man. girls were, i remember they were both wearing tube tops and i was like oh tube top girls are so mean <laughs> but i i just all of a sudden was aware of the fact that what i was doing wasn't going to work in miami unless i like did it with real confidence which i really didn't have back then i was i was more you know very unsure of myself and I was I was way more confident in high school than I think Miami killed my confidence. I wasn't prepared for it. And now I could go there and and be very happy there, but at the time, you know, I was young and I just I, I just wasn't ready, you know.
0: And you know, it's weird about adapt a bit like adapting too because I think back on my life, I think I might have even talked about this before with somebody on this show, but like wherever you go, I don't know, like like you were saying, you're in Champagne and you're one way and that's working for you. And then suddenly you're in Miami, which is a totally different place and culture. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it doesn't. And so I guess if you're like, and you know, you're young and you want, people want to be accepted. You don't want to like be pushed into mud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you adapt. And so I think back to my college days, like I came to Colorado from Indiana and I remember showing up and I had like. A can of chew and was like wearing a baseball hat Ugh. yeah i was like kind of a can of chew i don't know i was from indiana i was like you know i was sort of like a midwestern dude i don't know what the fuck <laughs> i was you know but <clears throat> the point is that within a year i was like wearing fleeces and like growing my hair out yeah. <laughs> and i look back and it's like wow i just mutated like that you yeah know? well you and, know you
1: adapt <laughs> and
0: then you come to los angeles and like i feel like i'm kind of dressed like people in Los Angeles dress or not it's, everybody but
1: that's because it's a very painful thing to be on the outskirts of of the social world you know it, I, just you feel, blend. Yeah, I just want to blend I just want to blend if you feel in. isolated on 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 the end of the world then you're alone and it's frightening and people aren't made to be alone people aren't lone wolves you know we're social creatures people have this natural tendency to congregate like religion and, and you know clubs people make friends with people who like the same thing you know we congregate and so if all of a sudden you enter some area where everybody is wearing a fleece and you're the one asshole not wearing a fleece and everybody's like, hey, what's up with non-fleece guy? It's really frightening and difficult to be that guy, especially when you're young. When you're older, you can feel brave enough to do that. You can say, yeah, I'm not the fleece guy. What, what do you want? You know, I yeah. like your fleeces, though. It's very nice. But when you're young, that's terrifying. It's, it's too much to expect of you know, a kid who has only ever seen one thing. To enter a a new culture and not and assimilate. Not, yeah,
0: I mean, maybe it's probably normal and somewhat healthy. But like it, the thing about it too is that it almost happened for me without me even really n- realizing it. Mm-hmm. It was just suddenly like I, I was this new person. Like well, I that's
1: just, that's good. It's it's good to be th- like this the talented exactly, Mr. Ripley. Yeah, it's good to be <laughs> adaptive. This is why I had trouble in Miami because I'm I there's I'm not a particularly adaptive person. I, I have a lot of trouble not being exactly the way that i am i you mean know, i think this is one of the things that people always you know decided was weird about me is that i can't i i don't pay a lot of attention to what other people are and instead i just as narcissistic as it sounds i'm very interested in myself you know i, I think that my thoughts and the, my way of doing things things i think that those things are very interesting and so it's never really come easily to me to kind of try on somebody else's skin you know i've I'm very comfortable in mine, but I wasn't comfortable at the time. I just couldn't get somebody else's skin on. I guess right, right. You know,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, I think I'm better about that now. But I still like just like with the matching the socks. Like I just, I kind of am always looking outward, trying to figure out what to do. Is that my dog scratching on the door? (laughs) No, Walter, go away. Um. Okay. So, you did you stay at Miami all four years?
1: No, I graduated early
0: you did Um, okay that's right
1: yeah i was so terrified of miami that i graduated early how
0: how early like how many years did it take a semester semester early okay so you got out of there you came to los angeles Mm -hmm. you enrolled at usc graduate school Mm -hmm. that's where we met yeah um we were both writing blah 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 yeah fast forward you wind up becoming i mean is there anything significant about that time like Mm -hmm. you know i was working on my book you know you were working on what were you working on in grad school
1: My thesis was the early version of Dead Pets, actually. It was like a collection of humor, like personal humor essays, basically. Um, But it was not good. (laughs) I definitely needed to ditch some of them and revise others. Um, That was my thesis, Did you
0: learn... Did you feel like it was a productive experience?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. I I don't know if it was because of anything that I was taught in school. Not that what I I was taught wasn't valuable, but I, I think that just the fact that my only job at the time was to sit and write and write and write and I had to produce and I had to produce and I didn't have the... There was structure. I, yeah, I had to produce something and, and offer it. I, I think that that was good for me. You know, I I do think that I'm a, a disciplined enough person to do that on my own as well. I mean, I, I've done it on my own since I've left graduate school. So I I think I can do that without that kind of structure, but, you know, the structure didn't hurt.
0: And it's mm-hmm. nice. I know. I always say it's nice to meet other writers.
1: Well, yeah, that that probably helped more than anything. Like the fact that I met you and then you started TNB and that gave me, you know, some sort of exposure and audience, which helped me get an agent, which helped me, you know, so right. on and so forth.
0: Right, right, right. So, uh, and you were one of the original Nervous Breakdown writers. I was. So that was like 2006, 2005, yeah. 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's seven years. So two thousand six was when it launched, two thousand five when I think was when it I began like trying to figure out how to do it. But, yeah. Um you you got out of graduate school and then wound up going back to get your doctorate to become a shrink.
1: Somebody who can make money. Yeah. yeah. So but <laughs> let's talk
0: about that decision because I sort of envy it. You know, there's a practical there's a practicality to it. Um, you know, obviously it's like two advanced degrees, you know, that's, that's pretty, uh, fortunate. But, um, why, I mean, aside from money, why sex therapy? Um, because, what, what, what interested you about it so much?
1: Well, sex is interesting and I'm always going to be interested in what other people are doing behind closed doors. I think it's interesting. <laughs> I want to know the dirty details. I, TMI is not a thing for me. I want to know everything all the time. Um, and, uh, I'm never bored by it. Um, but the probably the beginning of my interest in this kind of thing was, there's a book called Psychopathia Sexualis, which has been the single most influential book in my life for everything. Um, it's a, a collection of of case studies of pathological sexual deviance, you know, um, that was put together in 1886 by Dr. Richard von Kraft Ebbing. And it is awesome and just bizarre and my father's mother had it as a medical textbook when she was in medical school and my father h- held on to the book and then gave it to me when i was at whatever middle school or high school or something like that so wait
0: your grandmother was a doctor
1: yeah my dad's mother
0: what kind of doctor was she
1: i think she was a, just a general practitioner or a pediatrician i'm not sure that's
0: unusual for somebody of her generation mm-hmm. and time yeah right?
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure she went to medical school in italy um, okay i think but I'm, I'm not a very good uh, family Are historian. you Italian? No, no. But my my dad's parents were Russian Jewish and had to escape the Nazis. So they went to Italy and then they went to New York from Italy. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So psycho, what's it called? Psychopathia sexualis? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: It's just a brilliant, brilliant collection of case studies. And, and some of them are totally outdated. You know, they'll like include gay people or whatever. But, you know, a, a lot of them are like, you know, you know mr x couldn't stop having sex with all these dead people and you know when i when i was like whatever age i was at 14 i was like what people have sex with dead people how do i not know about this you know and so it was really awesome and i remember i took the book with me to dominican republic um I, I went on a family vacation to Dominican Republic where I got so profoundly sunburned the first day because I was like, "I'm going to get a tan." and
0: fucking oh, I hate my, that. My
1: feet actually got swollen; they wouldn't fit in my Birkenstocks, which are very giving—they are yeah. very large shoes. Um, I was quite burned, um, and uh, so I had to stay in the whole the whole vacation. And I basically just read about people having sex with dead bodies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and so. Uh, when you go and you go into graduate school to get your advanced degree to become a doctor, you declare. How does that work? You declare like I'm going to be. A, I'm going to specialize in.
1: Um, well, I, I I went to specialize in clinical psychology, so I I I am a clinical psychologist. I can treat things like depression and all of those things, but I wrote my dissertation on the paraphilias and, you know,
0: okay. So what's a paraphilia? That was the word I was thinking of, but I couldn't find
1: paraphilia is a sexual act that includes uh, a minor or other non-consenting adult, Um, the pain, suffering, or humiliation of oneself or one one's partner or, um, non-human objects
0: okay so let's go over those things because i think like and i think i've actually picked your brain about this before because it's all very fascinating it is (laughs) but first of all and this is something that like you know on the darker side of things it's just like a great evil mystery to me but like why do people have the urge to be pedophiles like what what is that do we know what causes people to be those people
1: yes and no and i think that there are different kinds of pedophiles um and these are all theories you know that there's nothing proven there's nothing definitive that says oh this is what you know here's the recipe for a pedophile um but in in my view uh which is hardly you know the most uh like prestigious view that you can find but in my view i think that one type of pedophile is the is the uh profoundly narcissistic uh, antisocial pedophile who is so Terrified of um, having to be shown his own ina- inadequacies, that he chooses sexual partners who are submissive to to him. So,
0: so do these people have like, imp- like impotence problems, or is it just like no, a mental not, thing? They perceive themselves as yeah, being yeah, inadequate.
1: Yeah, in- inadequacies that are real or perceived. Um, you know, just being terrified. The core of narcissism is being terrified of your own inadequacies, so you defend against it by. Uh, developing a sense of grandiosity so if i am a narcissist and i am i'm such a pathological narcissist that i cannot possibly I, i i incur serious narcissistic injury when somebody criticizes me or points out my inadequacies then why would i invite into my bed for a sexual experience one of the more vulnerable experiences somebody whose opinion is on level on par with my own I would automatically choose somebody who's either unable to dissent or uh, whose dissent means less than, than an adult's, or something like this. You know, somebody who is submissive to me because they're, you know, a, a child and I'm the authority figure, or something like this.
0: But it, it's okay. I, I I follow it to a point. I understand, like, being terrified of having inadequacies you know, inadequacies revealed. I can understand, mm-hmm. like, on some level, that fear. But crossing the line to the point where, like, it manifests in you molesting a child.
1: Well, it's a deeply subconscious and antisocial behavior. I, I mean, it's not like you think. Well, I don't want anyone to point out any of my flaws, so I'm going to bang a child. You know, it's not. That's not how it works. It's a, it's a disgusting urge that people have that is self-protective at the same time because sexuality doesn't cease to exist because you're terrified of other people and other you know ad- adult consenting se- sexual partners. You know, and so you people are, are, are very defended. You know, we're, we're if anything human humans are very very good at defending themselves uh psychologically and so we you know we build our defenses where they're needed and this is this is one way where they might
0: Do you think it's evil? I mean do you think uh, like do you think these people are just evil?
1: Um I hate the word evil. Um I think they are doing something that is terrible and should be treated as a serious crime and that is morally reprehensible and, you know, disgusting and all of those things. I, I have no apologies for, for pedophiles. Um, but evil, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not the one to say whether or not evil is a thing. You know, it it seems like a very, you know, definitive word. I, I, I just don't, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to join with it. You okay. Know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> It's just it's a hard one, you yeah. Know? Like that one especially. When people would do that, it's just it's hard for me to even comprehend, and it makes me frightened, you know, as a parent. And
1: it, it should. I mean, like the but...
0: and like the the grooming. Like there's certain behaviors. Like I've been, you know, uh, through the years. Like I saw a documentary called Oh God, what was it called? Deliver us from evil. About mm-hmm. a priest. Mm-hmm. Which is a documentary. If you ever want to see, well, and you know, just to go back to that word. But if you ever want to see like an evil, sob on screen, mm-hmm. watch this documentary. This guy's got no remorse. He is as he's chilling. You know, evil, you can push that word aside. It's the most chilling representation of a bad person I've seen on screen, and, including like Hannibal Lecter, you know right. what I'm saying? It makes Hannibal Lecter look like Mickey Mouse.
1: Right. And look, I'm I'm well I I don't want to, you know, align myself with the word evil. I am not going to pretend that there aren't bad people in the world. There yeah. are terrible terrible people and there's not an explanation for why they're terrible. A lot of them come without explanation come without you know excuse or explanation as as a psychologist i'm certainly trained to see you know the the development of whatever behavior is is there pathologically in adulthood um there isn't always that explanation it sometimes it, it is invisible and we don't know why it's like that and there will always be bad people there's no way to get rid of them ever
0: so do you treat these people
1: no, I don't work with offenders. I,
0: you don't, and no. so do you ever have a do you ever have a patient who comes in uh, without asking you to get into too many personal specifics about the you know the potential patient? But do you ever have somebody come in who says, "I have these urges," or "I have did this once and I'm terrified and I want help"?
1: Um. Well, look. There's, a, I'll, I'll answer it in a different way. Um. With with sex addiction, remember I, I treat sex addiction. I don't treat offenders. I don't, oh, you don't? Okay. Yeah, I, I I don't want to, and I it's not, it's not what I do. I I have no, I have no expertise there. But um, with sex addiction, a, a lot of times clients are you know finding themselves kind of compulsively watching porn or, or you know that kind of thing, and it is. Fairly, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it with with any addiction, there's there's an inherent escalation of behavior. Um, so if you're a heroin addict, then, you know, X amount of heroin works for you this day. But as, as you get further into your addiction, you're going to need more and more and more. And so the same thing exists with things like porn. If you, if you become ad- addicted, you know, whether or not you want to use that word, but if you come sort of compulsively, a, a, a compulsive user of porn, there's going to have to be an escalation there. And so the way that you escalate with porn is both in intensity and in, in subject of the porn. So the, the kind of the more taboo the subject is, the more of a hit it is. So what will happen is a lot of people who really aren't you know, who wouldn't be described as pedophiles and who don't, there's an ego dystonic uh, I guess sexual interest in minors. So ego dystonic meaning it doesn't, they're not happy about it, they don't think it's okay they're repulsed by themselves, but they end up kind of in the child porn territory because this is where escalation is going to lead them. And that's the danger of, of any kind of addictive porn behavior um and i'm not saying that porn is bad i'm not porn averse or anything but
0: i was going to say is, the, is there a there is healthy use of porn i mean is it is there like a it, yeah there's a, there can be like yeah you watch some porn every once in a while yeah of
1: course I, I think there's healthy use of porn i think there's healthy casual sex i think there are a lot of ways that healthy sexuality can manifest but it, it's not about the behavior it's about the reason that the behavior is there And so some people might be like, oh, well, you know, uh, my partner and I like to have threesomes and that's just how we're happy. And that might be a very comfortable and healthy way for that couple to exist. I've
0: just been talking about this on the show. Really? Yeah, I just feel like one of the people in the threesome always winds up feeling bad about themselves because they're left out. I don't know. That's Maybe. how I imagine it. I've never been involved in one. So.
1: <laughs> I, I assume everyone is kind of different, you know. And, Maybe you know. You know. <laughs> it just seeing it's
0: just I. I'm it, as I imagine it. The the social dynamic just seems like. There's three, there, you know, there's not enough body parts to go around or something.
1: Well, right. But what if one of those people involved is a voyeur and wants to just watch?
0: Well, there you go. You know? Maybe there is.
1: And what if one of them just is... Just packing popcorn into being... the, their cheek. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: what if <laughs> one of them is, is masochistic and wants to sort of be humiliated by being, you know, uh, rejected by his or her sexual partner in, in place for another partner, okay, you know? Cool. All right. We're <laughs> going
0: to get to that in a second. Um, one last question on pedophilia and then we'll move on. Okay. Uh, can they be cured?
1: Um, th- th- I don't, I, it depends on who you're talking about. I, I don't, I personally do not, um, I, first of all, I don't like the word cured. I or don't like
0: rehabilitated.
1: I don't think that there's much promise in available rehabilitation techniques right now. I think there's a lot, the high, the high recidivism rate kind of speaks for itself. I,
0: so what do you do? You just castrate these people?
1: No, castration won't help that. Look, won't. if somebody's a predator, they're going to be a predator with or without their penis. You know, it, it's, castration is not going to help. It, it,
0: that was my a, solution. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think you put them in,
1: you put them in prison. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't have much of a bleeding heart. And I think that if you go around destroying other people's lives, you should be put in prison. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to destroy other people's lives and, and, and rape children without serious consequence. No. You shouldn't be let out. Right. I think
0: that's my thing too. I, that's, I just, great fear you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you mentioned earlier that there's also like the, uh, the S and M thing or people who like to be humiliated or tortured or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned, uh, people who fetishize like sex with objects or inhuman. Right. right. So let's start with like the S and M thing because, you know, I, I think I've told you this before, but like, I can read about this kind of stuff and read about all these like exotic, like, quote unquote, exotic sexual behaviors. And it can make me feel so boring. I'm like, Wait a minute! People are whipping each other and like wearing collars and shit. Like this never even occurs to me. Like, am I just...
1: Well, why is it? Why is it boring for you to not want to whip people? Well, I don't it? know.
0: It just feels like maybe you know. Am I missing something? Like what? What you know?
1: Well, maybe it, you know. In your in, I, I don't want to personalize it with you, but it, maybe it's possible for two people to be in a sexual relationship, both of whom are not interested in whipping. <laughs> you know. Right, right.
0: Well, but no, it's just there's something sensational about it. And it gets a lot of, uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's it's more interesting as a subject matter than like missionary.
1: Yeah, but there's this myth that, you know, kinky sex is good sex. Kinky sex is only good sex if people are into kinky sex. If you're not into kinky sex, that's not very good sex for you.
0: Right. So what is it about people who want to be like peed on or they want to be tied up or whipped or humiliated or go to a dominatrix? Like what's the psychology there?
1: Well, I just think they're masochistic. They they want they want some sort of punishment. They have a sense of shame, and they want it expressed. I mean, there's you could you could conceptualize it in any number of ways. One interesting thing about masochism, by the way, sexual masochism is, is it's the only paraphilia that is represented in any significant way whatsoever in in, in females.
0: It's mostly men.
1: Mm-hmm. No, no, masochists have a. a, a Female population that is significant. Any other paraphilia is really only men.
0: Like women aren't pedophiles typically.
1: Not typically, no. Although y- you know, whatever we can talk about the whole teacher thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the w- teachers falling in love with their students.
1: Yeah, but notice falling in love, <laughs> not.
0: Yeah, know. like they want a relationship. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> even then it's like we just want to settle down with a, <laughs> an eight-year-old. Um, okay, so like when it comes to there's not like a broad. Um, you know, overlay or some sort of like, uh, I don't know what, what's the word I'm looking for? Simple set of criteria that you can use to describe people who are masochistic sexually. Like there's just a variety of reasons why that might manifest.
1: No, I mean, look, I could, I could conceptualize it in any number of ways, but that doesn't necessarily make me right. It just makes me see it a certain way. I, I think that masochism kind of stands a little bit aside. I think that, uh, that the rest of the paraphilias are, it can be conceptualized much more cleanly with narcissism Yeah. Um, you know like I said it, if you are a very vulnerable narcissist who, who tends to incur narcissistic injury then there's nothing more terrifying than an adult who can say no you're wrong and I have a criticism for you so they're going to look for any kind of partner that is less able to say no you're wrong and here's criticism um, that might be a shoe it might be a dog it might you know <laughs> Like the less animate it is, then the less frightening it is,
0: so yeah why people some people like to have sex with shoes,
1: yeah, yeah. some people I mean, do, yeah the, I mean, and
0: people have foot fetishes and things like that, well, you know, what's the, up with that
1: well the most the most uh powerful sexual stimuli for heterosexual males, um they're all physical, it's uh the breasts, butt feet and penis, say that again breasts. Butt. No, I
0: mean, but, like, what was the first part?
1: Oh, the, those are the most powerful sexual stimuli for heterosexual males.
0: Well, yeah, breasts, butt, I get that.
1: Feet and penis. Uh, the feet thing, I think, is... um, is uh,
0: It's, like, the one part of the body that used to be exposed in, like, Victorian times? Or... No,
1: no, 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 I, I, I don't think that's it at all. I, I guess look, Victorian if, if women were wearing shoes. If a woman were, were is pregnant, her or... feet swell, so she can't really take your seed, you know. So if a woman's feet look off or, you know... Like, like something's going on, then maybe she's not the appropriate partner to, to carry on your, you know, your biological, uh, whatever. I I, I think that that's probably the best, the best explanation. There, there's a lot of like,
0: we really are just animals.
1: Oh yeah. We're you know? disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm repulsed by us. Are
0: you ever, do you ever have a patient where you're like, this is too much for me? Um, like I got to pass you off to somebody who can deal with this. Like, this is just too much. This is disgusting. No, no. No. I I'm not I'm
1: really not grossed out by anything this stuff. That, well, you get you look, have I, to get I, desensitized. I, I worked I worked once with um with a, a, an offender and I, that's why I decided I don't want to do it, you know. Yeah. Um but it it wasn't Was he it was, cre- was
0: it really creepy?
1: No, it's just really uncomfortable for me. I, I it just wasn't for me. It's not it, it wasn't for me in the same way it's not for me to work with, you know, like some other pathology that's just not for me. You know, it's, it, I don't have any judgments to pass on him. I, I, I have nothing to say, but I, it's just not for me. It's and not and you're not like I'm
0: a, you're not, and you like sex addicts. So you're not a sex addict yourself. Like sometimes no, no. therapists, you know, they become like substance abuse counselors after they've dealt mm-hmm. with like a substance abuse mm-hmm. problem. Like you never had like some sort of paraphilia or anything that like led you into this.
1: No, no, I, I, I think of it more as, as an addiction Thing. I, I like addiction work. I think that it's very clean, and there's a measurable result, and it's you know I can tell whether or not something's happening, or if I'm being effective as a therapist. So it's really pleasing to me.
0: Um, so like drug addiction too, or just sex? Yeah, addiction?
1: I, w- I would I would happily work in, in drug addiction. I just happen to work in sex addiction right now, which is you know more interesting to me because there's the sex aspect, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. So what is it with like I mean, broadly with addiction, like what can you say about that? Like why do people become addicted to things?
1: Uh, because they are suffering and they have been led to believe that they can't rely on other people to help them or soothe them or nurture them. And so they nurture themselves in the only way that they know how because they haven't learned appropriate adaptive uh, coping skills. And so they do the maladaptive ones like gambling or shopping or having sex, you know, with hookers or whatever, you know, drugs, whatever it is. It's it's all there to, to medicate, uh, you know emotional ills that they don't have any other method to medicate
0: you know but you hit on something like that it's actually really treatable that's a good thing about it
1: yeah it's very treatable and and it's it's got to be nice I, i think i i tend to think of just about every emotional disturbance out there as an addictive characteristic you know if you are depressed you're addicted to being depressed you are addicted to you know uh you're addicted to not doing the things that will make you happy you know all i think all things can be treated with an addictive model for the most part i mean you might need to throw in other other things you know other treatment methods as well but for the most part uh, addiction is is really a human a human problem we and what's what's the general what's the general
0: model you have somebody who's addicted to sex and then what do you can you is there a simple set of steps you can boil it down to
1: yeah um i there is sort of the godfather of, uh, of sex addiction treatment is somebody named Patrick Carnes who wrote, um, a book called Out of the Shadows, which is, uh, basically the treatment manual. Um, there are, there are four negative core beliefs in every sex addict. And I would, I would, you know, I would say most addicts of, of any kind probably have similar core beliefs, but there's a, I am basically a bad and unworthy person, um, if anybody knew the real me, then they would reject me. If I'm going to have my needs met, then I'm going to have to meet them myself because I'm rejectable, of course, and sex is my most important need. And so if it's a gambling person, then gambling or food addiction, food is my most important need, this kind of thing. Um, and from those core beliefs, you can really start to see the way that people are conceptualizing the world around them. And it's just about teaching them to see where those assumptions are wrong
0: and you and you when you have like a breakthrough with somebody who's really been struggling that's got to be so satisfying right
1: it it is it is it's satisfying to help anybody for any reason i mean i, I don't think it's any more satisfying for a, a psychologist to help someone than it is for you know anybody to help anybody do anything though
0: yeah but i it, mean it so feels
1: good as a human being to do good things for other human
0: beings it does it really does i just and i just talked about that the other in like in a recent episode but um, for somebody who's in real peril or whose life is really coming undone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's, it's different than just like helping an old lady cross the street. That's noble and great, mm-hmm. but you know, you're really helping somebody sort their life out.
1: Well, the, I, come I on, mean, give look, yourself I, a little credit. It, it's not that I don't want to take any credit for my role in it, but look, a client coming in for any kind of help for, with a psychologist has to do 99% of the work. Um, it's up to them. And I can, you know, teach them about appropriate boundaries or, you know, whatever it is that I'm teaching them about, but I can't do it for them. They have to do it on their own. So the, the hard work really rests on their shoulders. So I, I don't really want to, you know, pat myself on the back and say like, look at what a, an amazing person I am. Because... You're,
0: you're a healer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Again, I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> disagree.
0: Um, okay. So writing, yeah. uh, how does it all fit in? I mean, you know, like you have a strong work ethic. You can be disciplined when you need to be. Um, you published My Dead Pets Are Interesting on the on the Nervous Breakdown books imprint. Mm-hmm. Um, I was your publisher. Yeah. <laughs> full disclosure. Um, and then now you've got Stupid Children out, yeah. which you wrote in a pretty quick shot, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wrote stuff that I needed to write before I got to that book for about two years, and then I... Threw it all out and quickly wrote, like in, in two months, basically wrote the book that's out and made obviously some edits and changes, you know, for the months following. But yeah, it, it once I figured out what I wanted to write, it took very little time. and It's a short book, so I mean, it's not like I, you know, wrote War and Peace in, in two right. months. But
0: right, right, right. So, um, do you see yourself continuing to write fiction and publish books? Oh yeah. In addition to the doctor stuff. Yeah, I. You yeah. think you can do both without having?
1: I I can do both, and I will do both. Um, yeah, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that I, I'm writing another book right now. It it it'll happen.
0: What, so how do you work? Like, what's your? How do you do the writing work? Um, schedule wise.
1: I, I don't really have a schedule. I write when I feel like it. I don't make it work. I I don't. I, I I think I'm like the most relaxed writer there is. I don't put pressure on myself. I don't worry about like, oh, I haven't written for a few months. I don't care if I haven't written for a few months. That's fine.
0: That's I'll a good write. way to be. I'm yeah. the opposite. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I think about it too much. Just
1: yeah, I, I don't... I mean, look, I, I'm either going to be able to write or I'm not when I sit in front of the computer. And, you know, I know pretty quickly if I start, like, you know, watching Project Runway on Hulu that it's not going <laughs> to happen today. So, And that's fine, you know. Yeah. I'll write when I feel like it. And so, a book will come out when I get a book out.
0: And the experience has been good? Like, publication? Like, have you... How do you feel having, like, books out there in the world? Has it been... Uh, like, has it um, met expectations? Has it been a letdown? Has it been, like, uh, you know, invigorating, depressing, uh, all of the gosh. above?
1: No, I don't think all of the above. You know, I, I'm i not sure what my expectations are. I have high hopes, but my expectations are not – I don't, like, expect to be on the New York Times bestseller list. I hope to be on it, you know, but I don't feel like, oh, what's wrong? It's so depressing if I don't, you know, win the book lottery or whatever, you know. Right. I mean, look, I, I write – like we talked about earlier, I'm kind of weird. I get it. People think I'm weird. My books are not going to be any different. And so obviously people are either going to like my books or they're not. So far, I feel like in the very minimal reviews that I've gotten, you know, everybody seems to be pretty positive. I I don't tend to get terrible reviews. So it's been real nice for me. I wish that more people would buy and read my books. (laughs) But, Buy her books. Yeah, I think that I think that they're really interesting and unlike any of the other books that are out there. Um, so I think for the you know for that reason alone, you know, just stop reading the same book over and over. You know, my my book's a good punctuation in there. You know, but but uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, it's been great. I, I,
0: and it's genuinely fun for you to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I never understood that people being like, oh, writing's the worst thing in the world. Well, don't do it.
0: Well, I think that that's the thing is I think you, sometimes people fall into the trap of feeling like they need to write to breadwin. And, like, you have this doctor thing, which is sort of taking care of that. And so writing is, like, this fun thing that you do outside of that. And it's not like the, the weight of the world is on you to, like this yeah. book has got to sell and I've got to write. And like that can load the product. I know that firsthand. It can load the process with all this extra weight.
1: You yeah. Know? But you also branch out and do other things. Look, I, I think that that's really important. I think that people who are doing nothing but writing are really doing their writing a disservice because then what are you writing about? Like what? I, I don't believe in the write what you know thing, but you have I think it's to right. Get, what, I think
0: it's right. What you're interested in, in. Yeah.
1: Right. What you're interested in, but you have to be inspired. You have to be interested in something. If If you're interested in the things in your office and, you know, that inspires you, then great. But I feel like most people need to have things happen in their lives for them to have some sort of spark of interest and inspiration. I I just think that, if anything, being a psychologist is exciting because it makes me think about a lot of stuff, you know. And that makes me want to write about a lot of stuff. I think that if people are feeling kind of writer's blocky, then they should go and do something weird.
0: Go get interesting, or go get interested, right? Yeah,
1: just go do something weird. It doesn't matter what. It, it doesn't even matter what intensity level of weird we're talking. Like, if weird for you is like going to KFC, then go to KFC, you know? <laughs> get some chicken.
0: <laughs> you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Go to KFC. <laughs> uh, Lenore, it's been fun talking with you. It has been. Uh, congratulations. Thanks. And I'm sure I will see you soon.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs>
0: Okay, you guys, there you go. That's it. That's Lenore Zion. Go get her book. Go get both of her books. My Dead Pets Are Interesting, the humor collection from the TND Books imprint, and then get the brand-new novel, Stupid Children, available now from Emergency Press. You can find Lenore online at lenorezion.com. She's on Facebook, and she's also on Twitter, uh, where her handle is at Lenore Zion. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And, uh, what I'm going to try to relax about the whole dinner invitation thing. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to actively, uh, not obsess about it anymore. I'm going to try not to overthink it. I want to be relaxed. You know, I want to be the dude. That's who I want to be. That's how I want to, that's, that's how I want to be remembered. That's what I want my legacy to be. I want to wear jelly shoes and bathrobes in public without shame. And I want to uh smoke marijuana in social situations without, you know, without experiencing horrendous communication breakdowns and acute paranoia. Is that so hard? Please remember that Simone de Beauvoir, Simone de Beauvoir had an affair with Nelson Algren and that Raymond Chandler did not publish his first novel until age 50. That is all for now. Thanks for listening uh, as always. I appreciate it. And if you haven't gotten the app, please go get the app, the free official Other People app. It's available for your iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, or Android. It's free, and it's the best way to listen to this program and to access the full archives and premium content, etc. And, uh, hey, if you have a couple of minutes, please go rate and review the show at iTunes. Pretty please do that. It doesn't take long, and it really does help the cause. Otherwise, uh, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go relax. Uh, Perhaps I will meditate. Maybe I will go bowling. Should I go bowling? So I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about what I'm thinking about. I'm not going to do it. Do You understand me? Do you understand me? Seriously, do you? <laughs>